Welcome to the Men's Divorce Podcast, presented by the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell, a partner men can count on. Now, here's your host, managing partner and CEO of Cordell & Cordell, Scott Trout. So today we wanted to tackle uh, one of the more sticky issues in domestic relations and uh, more difficult to talk about because uh, there's so much variability throughout the country, uh, motions for contempt. And we wanted to just kind of highlight the, the ins and the outs and of being held in contempt or pursuing a contempt if you're a guy and you've got issues, which we'll talk about some of the issues about that and pursuing custody cases and support. So today I asked two of the Cordell and Cordell attorneys, uh, one from Illinois, Rachel Schmidt in our Edwardsville, Illinois office, and Dylan Briggs in our St. Charles, Missouri office. Welcome guys. Thank you. So um, I wanted to get your perspectives and I know guys out there, not just limited to Missouri and Illinois, but it's always useful to get some differing thoughts on the legal perspective as every state. And, And there's some, I think there's wider variability as it relates to contempt issues uh, in different states, and there are divorce, because you know I go around the country and there's so much crossover in divorce, and there's some peculiarities as it relates to using misconduct, but contempt to me just, they're even sometimes called something different. So let's start in Illinois. Do they call it a contempt? What do they call it? Yes, it's a contempt. Okay. It, and basically it's just violating a court order mm-hmm. that was previously put in place. So it can be anything it doesn't have to be a divorce-related order. Nope, it does not. It can be paternity. It can okay. be child support. Um, any prior order that was entered and you're not following that order is uh, the other side then can bring a motion for contempt. And I know Missouri is contempt. I mean, we call it an order show cause. Do they have orders to show cause in Illinois? They used to call them orders to show cause, but now that you would file a petition for, to, uh, for rule to show cause. Mm-hmm. Um, but the last seven years, you no longer have to file that petition for rule to show cause. It's now just a motion for contempt. Got it. So there's, you know, your guy out there listening and thinking there's all these names for it. And it really is, you know, we throw around this lingo. And so we're going to try to break it down for you. And so uh, let's uh, talk generally, and both of you can chime in here. What is Definitely, I guess, the legal standard for contempt. What is the the court looking uh, and what do they have to prove just on any issue? Uh, We can start with Illinois. What is the standard of proof? Basically, the standard of proof, you just have to show that you did not follow that court order. So, for example, uh, child support. There was an order entered that you were supposed to pay $500 a month in child support, and you have not been paying $500 a month in child support. You're technically in contempt. And then Missouri? It's the exactly the same way. Any okay. existing order that a party has violated, they can be held in contempt for by the other party or the judge upon his own volition. Does there intent? Do you have to have intent? I mean, can it be an accident? Or does the court need to find that it is a, and because I've seen, you know, and I talk about willful, malicious disobedience of a lawful court order. And that's a lot, that's a mouthful of words. But is that does the court have to find that you intentionally didn't follow the rule? So in Illinois, you can have willful contempt mm-hmm. and the judge can find you in willful contempt and then the penalties usually are um, harsher. 
Okay. Um, or you can simply be just in contempt and the judge can find, well, you know, there may be excuses for this, mm -hmm. but you're still technically in contempt. Going back to that child support example that I gave, somebody could purposely not be paying that $500 a month and the judge may find you have the money and you're still not paying that, you would be in willful, willful contempt. On the other hand, you may have a reduction in pay. You may be on disability. You may not receive any income, but that order still stands that you're supposed to pay that $500 a month. So the judge may not find you in willful contempt, but technically you're still in contempt if that prior order still stands that you mm -hmm. are to pay $500 a month. Missouri? It's very similar in Missouri in that the more uh, intentional or willful your conduct is, the more uh, harsh the punishments are likely to be. But uh, in Missouri, someone alleging that someone else is in contempt, they have to prove that uh, that person had the ability to comply with the court order uh, and failed to do so, or intentionally placed themselves in a position where they would not be able to comply with the court order. So the ability to comply meaning that there's an excuse, a legitimate lawful excuse with the court, even though they're, let's say, behind in child support. And then the, we'll get to some details later, but generally speaking, if they're they don't have the ability. They've been in the hospital sitting in a coma. Is that a lawful reason the court may not find them in contempt? Absolutely. Okay. Because contempt in by itself, the word, it, it, it sounds scary. And so many guys, the question they always ask when I'm doing a consult is, is this going to go on my record? And when they mean record, criminally. So what do you guys say? Uh, does it go on your record? Let's just say that's because uh, there's civil contempt and criminal contempt. Right. So let's talk about that. Normally, in cases that I deal with, it's all civil contempt. Um, there can be criminal contempt, but that's more for if you're lying on the stand or something along those lines, um, where it's it the the judge has given you a chance to purge yourself per se civilly, um, and then you continue to not comply, and then at that point, the judge may take it the next step and charge you with criminal contempt. Um, but in the majority of my cases, it's civil contempt, and mm -hmm. those punishments are a lot less harsh. So the civil won't, it's not a criminal conviction. Correct. All right. Same thing in Missouri? Yes. Uh, in Missouri, we have direct and indirect contempt. Mm -hmm. So indirect contempt is any uh, contumacious conduct that occurs outside of the courtroom, whereas uh, criminal contempt, or I'm sorry, direct contempt occurs within the courtroom. And uh, at least in my experience, mm -hmm. I'm not aware of any criminal yeah. liability for uh, certainly indirect contempt, and it would have to be pretty grievous in the mm -hmm. case of direct contempt. So when we talk about the types of contempt, what are the penalties? I mean, everyone knows, am I going to jail? I mean, that's typically the first question. Is jail an option uh, in your experience, Rachel, for contempt issues in Illinois? It can be, mm -hmm. but in my experience, the judge has given the party numerous chances mm -hmm. before they will f send them to jail, okay. it, normally speaking. Um, now, that person may not feel that the judge has given them chances, but you know they have given them a, a chance to what they call purge themselves. So again, and I don't mean to keep focusing on the mm -hmm. child support, but that's kind of an easy example. Yeah. A judge may say, hey, you're in contempt. You owe $10,000. I'm going to give you seven days to pay that $10,000. If you don't, you're going to jail. Okay. At that point. So they've given them a chance to purge themselves to make it right before jail time is something that happens. Mm -hmm. And again, 
that is usually after numerous times appearing before the judge, numerous times of not complying with maybe prior orders, mm-hmm. um, and then that may be the last resort. Have you guys, either of you, had anyone, your clients, go to jail on no. contempt? No. Yeah, I, it's it's interesting. So I have been on the other side where we've sent the other party to jail. Uh, and it is. I think the judge, at least in Missouri, when I did this years ago, uh, we had the case where um, she was given an opportunity to purge. And the judge said, look, you've got 24 hours. It was a custody issue. Turn over the child. She refused. She showed back up in court, went to jail. So it is a, it's a very useful uh, tool or penalty, I guess, from the court's perspective. But I, I and assume then what else do they do? If they're not sending the other side to jail, what are the, what are the remedies? I mean, is it just another piece of paper saying you're you're in contempt? Uh, follow the rules. So what happens? Legal fees can be um, ordered to be paid. Um, you can have pleadings struck. So if you're filing for modification of custody and you aren't complying with the order, um, you can have your pleadings uh, stricken, and you can have. Uh, Another um, example that I've had happen on the other side is that they're no, they're not allowed to present evidence. Mm. Uh, so again, you're having a case trying to modify custody or modify parenting time, and the other side hasn't complied with a court order, and the court finds them in contempt. Well, they don't get to present their side of the case, which is a huge uh, benefit for the other side. Right. Uh, I think that. Judges have an immense degree of power and discretion generally, and I think a lot of times people underestimate the power that judges have, and that's particularly true in cases of contempt. The judge can impose anything from no penalty or consequence Mm -hmm. at all, all the way up to and including imprisonment. Uh, However, in the cases of indirect contempt, any consequences imposed by the judge can only be intended to uh, elicit the compliance on mm-hmm. behalf of the person alleged to be contempt. So in other words, they can't be punitive or penal in nature. So they, they can't modify the order. I mean, like, for example, let's say a guy comes in, judge isn't going to modify the child support order and make him pay more, or can they modify the order in a contempt? I mean, that's always a guy's fear is like, look, if, what am I facing here? Is he going to change the order? Is he going to take my custody away because I'm not paying child support? Or what? That's where I guess guys have, you know, they have this, they hear stories. And the stories, of course, they become exaggerated over time. So I want these guys out there to know kind of what they're facing. What's worst case scenario? You know, let's say, I'll give, let's just maybe dig in the details here. Guy owes some child support. He owes 10,000 bucks. What is the worst case scenario for him? You know, jail? Yes. And will the court modify his custody order without any other motions pending? Without any other motions pending, no. Yeah. Right. Okay. In Illinois, child support and parenting time are separate. Mm-hmm. Now, the one thing that, as you know, you have to keep in mind is when something's in front of the court, usually other motions get tacked mm-hmm. on, other motions get filed. But in and of itself, a contempt motion is just that contempt motion. Right. And you're not going to get your parenting time modified based on that. Your support's not going to go up or go down unless another motion is filed. The only way that technically it would go up per Mm -hmm. se is if you're paying your current amount Mm -hmm. plus the back support. So So they tack it on to try to make it up. Exactly. So do you see that contempt um, is more dangerous? I mean, I'm trying to get to the heart of the matter in terms of a divorce. Let's say we have a client going through a divorce and he fails to follow some temporary orders. 
Do you find that more problematic while you're handling the divorce than it would be after the divorce? You know, dealing with a contempt issue? And, and if so, how does that influence the judge? You know, in the middle of divorce where a court may find him or her in contempt of court for failing to follow a temporary order? I definitely think the consequences are more grave during the pendency of a divorce uh, because of that discretion that the judges have and they have not entered any order yet, at least a long-term order regarding either custody or financial obligations. So the risk that you run with uh, contempt allegations and charges in the divorce proceeding is that you alienate the judge from your position. So Mm -hmm. unsurprisingly, judges don't like it when they tell people to do something and they don't do it. So for example, uh, when making a custody determination, the judge has every reason to think, well, if you couldn't follow my directions before, and we've Mm -hmm. demonstrated that, then why am I to believe that you're going to follow my directions with regard to Mm -hmm. the parenting plan or when custody is exchanged or how custody exchanged? So maybe it's best if we limit some of your custody time or we limit some of your decision-making abilities. So that's the biggest risk that I see in contempt, particularly during divorce proceedings. So I know in some states, when you have a judge and you're going through the divorce, it, that judge stays with the case. Is that the same way in both Missouri and Illinois? Yes. Yes. So I, and I say this when I do these seminars around the country, we talk about judges being derailed by emotion and uh, having an opportunity. They have to like you. And so I presume that having the same judge and a comeback, as you suggested, Dylan, uh, having a kind of a predisposition. If this if this judge knows I've already held one person in contempt, it's going to affect their opinion and, and decision-making regardless of the law, I presume. Uh, yes. I mean, judges are human, too. Mm-hmm. Um, th- their decisions, you know, they remember uh, certain cases, mm-hmm. especially cases that involve contempt. You know, they have hundreds of cases, but if they have a case that really stings them, they're not going to forget you. And they may not forget you four years down the road when you come back for a modification. They're right. they're going to remember if there was something that you did that they ordered you not to do or that mm-hmm. you didn't do that they ordered you to do. And so it's easy, you know, I think the kind of the approach we've taken so far uh, and we you, we always fall into that, is that guys are always the recipient of a contempt. Uh, and that's the stereotype that many people hold. So let's kind of talk about from the perspective that there are a lot of guys out there who need to file a contempt because uh, mom isn't following the custody order uh, or mom isn't providing telephone contact or mom isn't sharing uh, information as it relates to legal custody or paying for me, one of the more common things I have seen over the years is mom isn't paying her share of unreimbursed medical or uh, sports or academic costs that are ordered to be shared. So I know there are guys out there that that resonates with them and they're thinking, what do I do? You know, they've been sitting around for months. So what is the process? And you guys can talk from each of your perspectives in the states that you practice in. How does a guy go about filing for contempt, period? And then when they have when they do file, how long does this process take? And just kind of walk us through what it looks like, you know, a day in the life of a contempt motion from beginning to conclusion. And, and then we'll get into the details about what it takes to prevail and what kind of evidence, but just kind of generally go through that, that uh, those steps. So in Illinois, what someone would do is they would file what's called a motion um, for contempt. And in that motion, they would outline what the order was that the, the 
the prior order that's not being followed. And in some circumstances, there may be more than one order that's not being followed. There may be a parenting plan that's not being followed. There may be a judgment of dissolution. And, and I always tell people, when you're going to file a contempt, go through that those prior orders and, and point out everything that's not being followed. Don't there may just be one big issue, but put everything in there that's not being followed because you're showing to the judge, listen, look at all these look, look at all these factors that the other side is not following and, and I am and they're not. So that's one thing. So make sure you you know you have to point out the orders that are not being followed and then you have to point out which specific paragraphs, which specific terms of those orders aren't being followed. And then if you have any evidence, any documentation that you can support with that, you can choose to put that with your motion, which may help expedite the issue, or you can you know, hold that back until hearing or discovery is, mm-hmm. is commenced. Um, but if you have it, I say, you know, put everything in there in regards to, um, let's, for instance, if there's, you know, medical expenses that aren't being paid, you know, put in there the, the statements of the medical expenses that aren't being paid. Um, put in there the specific dollar amount. If you're not getting parenting time per the order, if you have police reports to support that, that you went to the house on such and such date and it was your order, put those police reports in there. As much detail, as much evidence as you can put in the motion, that will help the judge see what's all going on. Then you file that motion with the court and you have to send it to the to the opposing party or if they have an attorney still you send it to their their prior attorney or current attorney and then basically you um, have to give them 30 days to file a response and at the end of that 30 days you can obtain a court date Um, now depending on the county um, each county in Illinois handles things a little bit different some counties will automatically set it for what's called a case management conference which Mm -hmm. is just kind of a status date um, to see hey did the other side answer are there other things that need to happen in regards to discovery Um, which is just the request of those documents that maybe are included in that motion, which is why I say, hey, if you can include it, go ahead, because that might expedite the situation. The judge sees, well, wow, we've got all this documentation here. Let's just proceed. Um, Or some counties will allow you to set it for a hearing after that 30 days, and then you can proceed with presenting your case at that time. Same thing in Missouri? Yeah, uh, for the most part. So in Missouri, you would file <clears throat> a motion for contempt, and then uh, the judge would issue what's, known, what's called an order to show cause. And then that order to show cause has a date on it with a court date, and that's when the parties are going to come back and meet in front of the judge uh, regarding the motion for contempt. Uh, that order to show cause is personally served upon the person alleged to be in contempt. And then uh, all the parties will come back on that court date on the order sh- to show cause and Remember that the whole point of contempt proceedings is just to elicit someone's compliance with a court order. So oftentimes the judge will try and resolve whatever the issue is in court on that first initial day. Uh, However, if he or she is unable to do so, then he'll set it for either another status conference, if it's a particularly complex matter, uh, a a few weeks down the road, or he'll just set it for uh, a general hearing date at which time the matter will be decided and from the point between the order to show cause hearing and the ultimate hearing on the motion for contempt, you can basically have a full-blown case mm-hmm. in between there. It's not wouldn't be uncommon for people to spend almost as much money on one contempt proceeding as they may spend on the entire rest of the divorce proceedings. So mm-hmm. it can be a very lengthy and involved process. So 
when you mentioned length, how long does this whole process take or, you know, on average, based on your experiences, how long do you think from filing to getting a hearing? Because some guys are in a hurry and depends upon the issue. And I want to talk about that in a minute, specifically as it relates, because we just came out of the summer months and that's when I would always see a number of different contempt issues. But how long do you think it takes typically in, in your experience? In my experience, I'd say there's a difference between contempt proceedings that occurred during a divorce proceeding or during some other uh, mm-hmm. underlying proceeding mm-hmm. and contempt proceedings that are standing on their own. So um, typically, you know, if it's happening during the pendency of a divorce case, they're going to be relatively shorter. It might be, you know, four to eight weeks before it all gets resolved. Mm-hmm. But if it's just a standalone motion for contempt for a failure to pay spousal support, it could be months. Yeah. Same thing. You know. Yeah, I mean, I think the problem is is that a lot of times when a contempt, especially a post-judgment contempt issue is filed, it's not the only thing that ends up getting filed. Mm-hmm. And so then you have the modifications or, you know, other motions that get tacked onto that. And then those always prolong the process as well. If there's, you know, if the judge has to appoint, you know, guardian ad litems or there's other issues that are involved there. Um, so that always adds time to it. Um, if it's just a strict child support kind of contempt issue, those seem to go a little bit quicker because it's mm-hmm. money is is easier to calculate basically right. um, than when you're dealing with parenting time or other modifications um, because the other side usually has a reason right mm-hmm. why they're in contempt you know something there's, there's some reasoning and so they're going to file a motion explaining that reasoning mm-hmm. not always but then that always tax on the time so you know and we I just mentioned timing and expediency, you know, a lot of guys come and, you know, they got to have immediate relief. You know, the ones that come to mind are, you know, you're three, four weeks in the summer and mom's denying custody and dad, you know, has a vacation plan and mom says, no, they're not going. So, you know, with the contempt can take weeks and months. What other relief is there? I mean, injunctions, TROs, what, what do you guys, what do you tell guys out there in order to get some faster relief. I mean, ultimately you pursue the contempt. Is there anything else you can recommend to them? Absolutely. Um, You you mentioned a restraining order Mm -hmm. and that's certainly a possibility. I would say that it's a a more extreme possibility, particularly in Missouri. So if you're filing a temporary restraining order, you're trying to actually not restrain mom from doing Mm -hmm. something, but compel her to do something. It's still called a restraining order though. Um, And those are reasonably uncommon in Missouri because we have a framework and a kind of ancillary court system that is set up explicitly for this issue. It's called a family access mm-hmm. motion. And uh, that is intended to be a straightforward, cut and dry, bare bones procedure just to resolve that one instantaneous custody issue. And uh, people can often get into court and get a decision within you know one to two weeks. Mm-hmm. And further, uh, you know, if you're interested in pursuing a TRO, you would almost certainly need an attorney to assist you in doing that. But in Missouri, the family access system is mm-hmm. set up to be conducive to parties representing themselves in those proceedings. So guys should, you know, because contempt, they, you know, that word is thrown about in, in the domestic you know, relations area. So guys should pursue and start asking questions. What other relief can I get? I mean, that's, that's faster because this is the, I think one of the main complaints, I mean, when I first started practicing almost 25 years ago, Cases could take years. Now the courts are doing a much better job, but still things don't move quickly enough. So I guess 
what I'm saying is guys need to ask questions. Find out what other relief can I get? What, what can move these this train faster? So, And then one of the things they also want to know is tell them what kind of evidence. Let's say they're pursuing the motion. What do you want from them? Uh, facts, evidence, what should they be doing right now to prepare their case? Because I'm a big advocate of telling guys to save some money. I mean, it's any dime you can save is huge. What can they do to help their case? What would you tell them? You know, if they came in for a consult, what they, should they be gathering to help and assist with a contempt motion? Well, um, classic attorney answer, it depends on the uh, type of contempt. So mm-hmm. the type of evidence that you need to prove contempt depends on the uh, al- conduct underlying your allegation of contempt. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you know, in a non-payment of child support or uh, spousal support, then there, the evidence that you would need would be financial records, for example. But in uh, custody situations, it can be much more uh, difficult to obtain, particularly objective evidence. So oftentimes in those sorts of situations, witness testimony is going to be very valuable, but not just in contempt proceedings, but in family law proceedings generally when it relates to custody. I think that uh, contemporaneous notes are some of the best things that clients can do to uh, help their case because mm-hmm. uh, there's things, if you, if you think you're going to be able to go back and make notes on a situation later, there's always going to be things that you forget or get lost in translation in your memory. So uh, making a journal or a log as events happen can be very valuable to proceedings of that kind. Okay. Another thing, um, kind of talking about the parenting time, are texts and emails. Mm. You know, confirmation that someone's denying you parenting time. Uh, so they, they can't come back and say, oh, it was a mistake, or you agreed to not have parenting time. That so often happens, and then we don't have any written document to mm-hmm. show you didn't agree. So it's your word versus her word. Yeah, the he Poli- said, she said thing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Police reports. And I know that's hard for um, some parents to do because they don't want the, to call the police. They, they don't want their kids to see that. Um, and, and I get that and I understand. And that's a hard, it's a hard call to make. Um, but, you know, calling the police and, and, and not necessarily having the police because every police department is different right. in regards to physically taking the child and mm-hmm. plopping them in your car. A lot of times they won't do that anymore. But at least you can make note that the police came, mom's denying visitation, mom's denying parenting time. Per the order, you know, it was dad's time or according to dad, it was dad's time. That Those are really good. Mm-hmm. You have third parties coming in. You know, the text that says, you know, I don't agree to switch weekends with you or I don't agree to um, give up my parenting time or, you know, those are those are valuable because, again, then it t- takes out of that he said, she said. In regards to your example um, as to the vacation, you can have receipts for how much the vacation cost because mm-hmm. um, that's something that you can ask for back. You know, I was supposed to have this vacation time per the order. I get two weeks. I told you about it, um, you know, three weeks in advance per the order. Here's mm-hmm. the statement. Here's the receipts of what I paid. And now I'm out of that money. Um, sometimes relief, you can get that money back. Right. You can get more time with your child as well. But you have to have the those documents to support right. the, you know, those arguments. And you raise a valid, I mean, a really good point because, and I've always told my clients, it's confirm every conversation, you know, and I know it's, well, this is what she told me, but I would say, send that email, say, hey, just yes. to confirm our conversation, you know, I, I, I showed up at your house and there to exercise custody and, you know, Johnny wasn't available. So that's the one thing I, perhaps maybe the best piece of advice is everything in writing. 
you know, emails and take snapshots of texts or whatever it may be uh, to clients because you want to avoid that uh, credibility uh, decision by the judge. You know, does he believe you or does he believe her? Uh, that's the worst thing. Independent witnesses are the best. You know, non-interested third parties, not my mom. You know, it's because your mom has a vested interest in you. So, uh, you know, neighbors, whatever. I know friends are similar, but uh, so that's the, some of the advice that I think that if you're going to take away anything from this conversation, it's record, record, record. Not, you know, it actually the voices, but uh, record your conversations in writing. So are there instances where you've recommended to the client that they file a motion to modify with it, with a contempt? And if so, why? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> almost always if they're interested in having more than they have right now. So in one of the prefaces to your earlier prompts, you listed numerous custody issues that mom was um, guilty of, for lack of a better way of putting it, such as you know denying custody time, failing to share educational or medical records, or I don't remember all of the other ones that you said, but in any of those circumstances, much less if multiple of those circumstances were present. Uh, in addition to filing a motion for contempt, I would also file a motion to modify because mm-hmm. all of the allegations that are underlying the motion for contempt could also underlie uh, a, a, or substantiate a motion to modify the custody determination to get dad more mm-hmm. custody time or more decision-making authority with respect to the children. Well, and obviously if you're, you're, you're filing a motion for contempt, something's not working. Mm-hmm. So something has to be changed, whether it's the money. I've had cases where, you know, they're supposed to split uncovered expenses 50-50. Mom's not, mom's not paying. Right. Uh, so something's got to change. Either, you know, we raise somebody's child support, we lower somebody's child support. There's a set number. Something has to change because my client can't keep coming back to court asking right. for her to pay these uh, expenses because that's just causing him expense. And yes, you can ask for the attorney's fees, but still something needs to change. Mm-hmm. Same thing with parenting time. If if somebody's not following the order um, and it's clear in regards to parenting time, something needs to change as well. Yeah, it may very well be the very thing that, or the only thing post-divorce that gets you more time, gets you outright custody. You may not be happy with the order. And here, you know, my experience, you have a non-compliant parent mom who is continually refusing you your court order custody, that may open the door wide for a judge to change the custody schedule, to make it more even, perhaps even, and I've been successful in flipping custody to our side. And so when you have that conversation with your attorney, you know, it's all about education and learning and exploring opportunities, especially as expensive as family law is. Uh, You know, there are times when you should combine everything you need to, you know, to file to kind of minimize the expense. And so explore, as we've suggested, all avenues uh, and filing and some efficiencies by filing multiple motions if you need to. Now, it does slow the that train down, no doubt. Uh, but that's something to also consider. So let's talk very specifically because it's oftentimes uh, we get these cases where I see them where a guy is behind on his support payments, whether it be alimony, maintenance, child support. So what do you tell a guy who just either he can't keep up, uh, the order's too much, it doesn't look like he's done anything intentionally, it's simply a matter of either uh, he's not making enough, overtime was cut, um, he just can't meet his own expenses, and he's just falling behind. What do, you, what do you do and how do you help a guy defend against a motion for contempt in situations 
just like that, where he is doing everything he can. And now we got a guy who's afraid he's going to go to jail. And when he goes to jail, he's going to lose his job. And so it's just kind of this never ending punishment of how do I pay support when I go to jail, when I can't pay because I'm working and I'm working two jobs. So what do you tell a guy? First, file a motion to modify support. Mm. I mean, with your response to the contempt motion, if, if you cannot afford the child support, file a motion to modify support. Now, you technically need to file, you know, show a change of circumstance, mm-hmm. um, but it, you got to file it. You, you got to at least ask for that relief to be able to show to the judge, look, I'm, I'm trying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, think about offering a deal to opposing mm. Uh, to the opposing party. You know, there might be a $10,000 arrearage, but if you're going to take the next 20 years to pay that, you know, mm-hmm. what is she getting? $20 a month, an extra $40 a month, something along those lines where, hey, you know what? I can I can give you $4,000 in cash. And I know that doesn't happen all the time, but those are things that you can think about. She doesn't have to accept that, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of times where I have opposing parties looking at me. They just want the cash. right? So they'll take it and then you... You know, make sure you erase all the arrearage. Um, you know, you set that amount lower, something along those lines um, in regards to trying to help them get that amount lower and start off at a zero balance. Right. And raises actually a good point when you talk about offering uh, a mo- like a, a lower amount of money. One of the traps a lot of my clients get into is so they're struggling to make the payments, uh, child support or maintenance. And uh they're behind and their ex so graciously comes to them says, well, you know what? I'll only accept half. So the trap is it's not enforceable, at least in Missouri, the oral modifications. Now it could be a defense. Now in Illinois, same thing. It has to be an order. Mm -hmm. So it has to be in writing, signed by the judge, entered by the court. Yes. So beware, you know, it sounds gracious. It sounds wonderful. Uh, let me tell you, I've had clients get into that situation for years where I had a client come to me who fell behind, and I'll put in quotes, air quotes, which you can't see, about $50,000 because mom had said, don't worry about it. Just give me $200 a month. And the order is like 1000 And uh, she comes back 10 years or five years later, I should say, and files a contempt. And my client's saying, well, she agreed to it, and it's in writing. She even sent him a letter to that effect. So we use it as a defense, but technically, you know, there, it's an oral modification. And so the court has some discretion, I know, um, to apply it or not apply it, but it's just a trap, especially so. If, and I think why I got to that point is you had raised filing a motion to modify. And I would say, and I think you guys both agree, file the motion before you get the contempt. So it doesn't look like it's responsive to a contempt, you think? Absolutely. Yes. Because, you know, I've always told clients, you know, the response doesn't look genuine necessarily. It looks like it's either punitive or like a cross motion to modify uh, for custody uh, just because they filed a motion. It's always be uh, proactive. If you're falling behind, get counsel, uh, seek advice and take action in, in and regardless, let's just file it so that if they do file a contempt, they look punitive as opposed to trying to work with you. I mean, I think that's what I would say. So um, interesting cases you guys have held or had on a contempt that are unusual. Um, I mean, I've got stories or just with contempts that are, are crazy, but uh, anything that comes to mind that you know, where you can kind of give some advice? 
So I had a similar case where the parties were together um, until the child was maybe one. They Mm -hmm. were never married. Um, Fast forward 19 years down the road, um, they had one order entered in regards to child support, um, but that was it. Mm -hmm. Neither one of them followed the order. Um, They had struck a deal. Um, client came to me. She had our, she had filed the motion for contempt, and he had owed her, I think it was you know over fifty thousand dollars worth of child mm-hmm. support. At one time, there was also a prior order entered. I think maybe when the child was around five, so mm-hmm. they had gone back to court, and that time the judge had found my client in contempt for about five thousand mm-hmm. um, dollars. That was prior to us representing them. I don't. Unfortunately, client didn't learn his lesson. He continued to agree to this oral agreement, comes back. We have a full-blown hearing, and, and I had told client, researched it, and I said, listen, this is this is going to be hard because mm-hmm. Illinois, it's an oral agreement. You're most likely going to order this, owe this money, but, you know, we, we put on a, a really good case. And the judge, we really poked holes in her testimony. We had documents. We had emails. Um we had handwritten letters because mm-hmm. this was 15 years ago, wow. and the judge ruled in our favor. And not only ruled in our favor, but he actually erased that prior order mm. um, from when the child was five. Now, what happened is we ended up striking a deal with opposing counsel and opposing party because they were going to appeal. Mm-hmm. And really, the judge didn't have any standing to erase that prior order that was entered in 2000. So my client ended up paying $5,000 hmm. and walked away not wow. paying anything more. That's great. Um, because he had the documents. He had handwritten statements. He had, you know, uh, third-party testimony that they had seen these conversations between the two of them where she agreed to not take, yeah. you know, um, the money. He had documents where he paid the doctor bill, um, which wasn't part of the order. So it was an unlikely scenario, but it, it worked. And mm-hmm. he was a genuine client, and I think his testimony came across um, to the judge. And like I said, he had the documents to back all of that up. Any, you know, as we conclude, any kind of final uh, thoughts in terms of uh, best advice? I mean, I, I can, I'll give mine before you guys give you a chance to think about it. Um, playing off what Rachel said, you know, for me to clients is when it comes to support, you know, we've talked about the oral modifications. It needs to be in writing, but just to protect yourself. But at worst case, you need to get a court order. But one, one thing my clients that I've seen been caught in a trap is cash child support payments or paying a bill in exchange or in lieu of child support. And I can tell you, it just comes back to bite you. And trying to prove that there was an agreement for you to pay something rather than that being a gift or overpaying child support or paying too much in one month and nothing in the next, and it can be considered a gift. It's follow the order, do it via a check, or something that you can prove that she's received in cash negotiated, period, and write everything down and keep great records. I mean, look, you have a long time. You know, you have technically from birth to 18 years or even in other states beyond. You have a long time uh, to just defend yourself. It's like, you know, dealing with the IRS. There's, you know, there's a period of time in which you have to keep your records because the IRS can come audit you. Well, just consider this an 18-year audit. So keep great notes, great records, great files, be organized because in the end, 
when you can present that to your attorney, you're going to save money and you'll hopefully put yourself in a position to be successful. So, um, Dylan, any thoughts? Um, <clears throat> my biggest piece of advice would be to look ahead. So, uh, really, clients should almost never be held in contempt for a failure to pay either spousal support or maintenance because if you're falling behind on it, there's a reason for it. And whether that's the amount is too high or you are inartfully allocating the resources that you have, mm -hmm. it, there's a reason that it's happening and you can identify that before it becomes a $10,000 problem mm -hmm. or a $20,000 problem. And if uh, dad had spent the $200 to go spend an hour with an attorney to talk about the situation, then possibly a modification could have been achieved or the yeah. attorney could have helped the help dad more artfully allocate his finances such that this issue doesn't ever arise. And that's yeah. always the best outcome. Yeah, best 200 bucks she'll ever spend Absolutely. is just to get some advice. Yep, mm -hmm. so Rachel. Yeah. I just have to re reiterate what you said. Mm -hmm. Document everything yeah. and, and save everything and, and organize it. One suggestion I have for people is organize it per year. Get a Redwell folder and put print out all your emails, print mm -hmm. all your text messages, all your statements. You may think that you'll never need it, and let's hope you don't. Right. But if you have it, you have it, and it's those times where you wish you had it that's going to make all the difference. Oh, yeah. I had a client, and we'll close it after this, with uh, it was all about unpaid medical expenses and activities that went over the course of like five plus years. And this guy was very organized. He had every receipt, every communication, every email, instances where they didn't agree with to spend uh, extracurricular monies. And they were seeking $75,000 from our client. And we, and now keep in mind, we probably had to spend a lot of money, 20, 30,000 to try this case. Uh, but in the end, we won. They got zero. They got no fees. We got fees because he was so organized. And we had binders of exhibits that didn't, weren't prepared by the attorney. We saved money in that regard because the client had it already and we were able to just walk page by page. And so it takes time, but you know, it, it, it really pays off as a defense. So thank you both uh, for your time talking about contempt. That's what we have for today. I'll have you guys back next month to talk about maintenance and alimony. Until next time, I'm Scott Trout, CEO and managing partner of Cordell & Cordell. Thank you for listening to the Men's Divorce Podcast presented by Cordell & Cordell. To schedule your appointment with a Cordell & Cordell attorney, please visit CordellCordell.com or call us at 1-866-DADS-LAW. Also, make sure to visit our partner websites, mensdivorce.com and dadsdivorce.com and download our free Men's Divorce Source app available on the App Store for the latest divorce news and resources. Cordell & Cordell a partner men can count on.